Well, good morning, Chili Bible. Excited to be with you here this Memorial Day weekend. I know a lot of us are traveling, but uh, those of us who are here this morning, we're going to worship God together and just enjoy one another and enjoy uh, singing praise to our Father and to our Lord Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit study the Word together, and just uh, just having a great time. So if you're visiting with us here this morning, I want to offer you a special welcome. Uh, we are glad you're here. We're excited that you're here. As a matter of fact, we'd love to get to know you. And if you've been looking for a good, a good church, you can stop looking because you found one. Uh, but um, we wanna, uh, pr- I want to pray for us and then uh, open the Word with you in Luke chapter 12. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that we can uh, say like the ancient Israelites did, what nation ever had a God so near that he would write down for us the things he wants us to know and that would give us... uh, his word that we might walk in light of the truth that is in it. And that would give His Holy Spirit that we might follow Him and obey Him and be transformed by Him uh, into people who joyfully do by the Spirit's power the things that You call us to do because we love You. And Father, we, uh, we thank you for the time we have here, here this morning to worship you and to give you praise. We pray, Father, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, for the past several weeks, we have been talking, I've been talking with you about the subject of discipleship. A disciple, what a disciple is, is a person who is following Jesus, following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and who is on mission with Jesus. If you are, are, if those three things characterize you, then you are a disciple of Jesus. And we looked initially at what it means to follow Jesus, which is to put your trust personally in Him in a saving way, and then to shape your life around loving and obeying Him as your Savior and Lord. To put your trust in Jesus, in other words, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, and to, and to then shape your life around loving and obeying what Jesus calls you to do. Uh, and then we moved on to being transformed by Jesus, that as you come into a saving relationship with Jesus uh, by faith in Him and what He has done on the cross and in His resurrection, that what happens then is that the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you are progressively transformed to look like and act like and think like and speak like Jesus. That your life starts to take on the characteristics of Jesus Christ himself. That you start to live as a Christian, in other words. That you start to live out 
the commitment that you have made to following Jesus. And He is the one who does it. He, as His Holy Spirit works in you and through you, He starts transforming you from the inside out. So we've looked at how He transforms your desires and your time and your relationships and your job, your allegiance, and every other, you could say the same thing about every other area of your life, that Jesus, there is no part of your life over which Jesus does not want to exercise a say, and, and in which he does not want to transform how you and I relate to the world and to him. He wants every part of our life to come into submission to him and to follow him and to live out a life of love for him and for others in all of these areas, right? Now, I could, I mean, the whole Bible is shot through with all of, the, uh, all of the various areas that Jesus wants to work in our lives in. But I want to conclude this section of this uh, series, uh, this part of our study here on transformation, by looking at how Jesus transforms our treasures, transforms uh, what we value, what we live for what we look forward to in the future. So I want you to turn with me, if you're not there yet, uh, to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 13 to 34 today. We're going to pick up first in uh, verse 13. And this is what the Word of God says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, let me catch us all up contextually here and where we are in the, in the, in the scope of Luke. Uh, Jesus has been teaching for a while. He's on his final trip up to Jerusalem, the one that's going to result in his crucifixion. And along the way, as happened, whenever, wherever Jesus went, he's teaching and a crowd has gathered. And one man in the crowd calls out to Jesus and asks him, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, understand that, that in, the, in, the, uh, in the ancient world, if you were the firstborn son, you got two-thirds of your parents' estate. There were two brothers, you got two-thirds, uh, and, uh, and your younger brother got one-third. Right? You all been watching the royal wedding? Right, every child that Will and Kate has uh, pushes uh, pushes Prince Harry for one further down the chain. Right, um, and so he's like now I think fifth in line or something like that to the throne. Um, the same kind of principle applied in the ancient world with reference to the inheritance. 
the, the biggest share of it went to the older son. So this guy is clearly the younger son. And he wants a bigger piece. He's like, hey Jesus, tell, tell my brother to give me half of it. And that would be fair, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, half is a lot more fair than a third, right? Uh, you know, if, you have a, if, you, if, if we have pie at our, at, at our house, right? Uh, and there's, let's say there's, there's, there's one big piece left. Okay, well, one of you gets to cut, the other one gets to choose. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, this is how we make sure it turns out fair, right? The one who cuts and the one who chooses are different people, right? And so, uh, so he says, look, I don't want that. And he's hoping Jesus will come to his rescue, come to his aid and say, yeah, by the way, your brother should. Jesus says something surprising. He says, who made me the judge or the arbitrator over you in these things? And then he begins to teach about coveting, which is a, an interesting way of approaching the guy's issue. First, you got his statement there in verse 15. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now that is a good word, and not just for that man, but for all of us too. Amen? Many of us have spent a lot of our lives acting and living as if the opposite is true, that life does consist in the abundance of our stuff. And we sometimes believe, even if we never quite say it out loud, what the old bumper sticker says, that he who dies with the most toys wins, and that we, we really believe. Well, I know that all my other possessions didn't make me happy, that, they all, that, that this car and this house and, what, and, and this, this job and this thing that I wanted that I saved for, and I finally got, well, that didn't really give me lasting joy. But the next thing, the next thing, that'll do it. That'll do it, right? And Madison Avenue is built on that whole idea of sowing that idea in our head, right? That the next thing, that I'm going to have a, abundance of possession equals abundance of happiness and joy. And nothing could be further from the truth. And so to underline the point, Jesus tells this little story about a foolish rich man who had all that he could want in terms of stuff. I mean, this guy could be on an episode of American Pickers. You know what I'm saying? You seen this show? Where you see these guys, and they're like 87 years old, and they've got 17 barns packed full to the ceiling of stuff. And then somebody goes in, and they haven't seen some of this stuff in 27 years, right? And they, they go in and they, and they hold up some piece of what's obviously junk. And if it were my house, would go to the road in the can, in the, in the can right? And they hold this up and they're, they're like, well, would you take $450 for this? Oh, no, I couldn't let it go for that, right? <laughs> and you go, you're, you're 87 years old. You're going to die sometime this century for sure. And probably soon. And then who is all this junk going to belong to? Your kids who are going to call an estate sale, and then after that they're going to call for a bulldozer and a, and a dumpster, right? They're going to throw all this away. 
And if somebody wants to give me $450 for, for junk, I'm taking it, right? In fact, I've got, you can buy the whole barn, <laughs> right? You can have it all. Uh, it's all for sale and at rock bottom prices, right? Y'all, you'll have the best pick of your life. Um, but this guy, this foolish rich man in Jesus' story says, you know what? I've got too much stuff for all my barns. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down these barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I can luxuriate in all of my stuff and enjoy it and relax. And I'll spend my retirement enjoying my stuff that I've accumulated all these years. And he was looking forward to this. And this guy was the center of his universe. You know how I know? Because he references himself with I or my a total of eight times in two sentences. Eight times in two sentences. He says, I have many things laid up in my barns for myself. And Right? Eight times. He is the most important person in his universe. But God says, look, you are a fool. You have... You are dying this very night as you're thinking about building a bigger barn to store all your junk. You're dying tonight and you don't even know it. And somebody else is going to wind up with all your stuff and you're going to have nothing. You know, I've been to a lot of funerals, done a lot of funerals over the years, and I've never been to one yet or conducted one where they had a U-Haul being pulled by the hearse. Have you? What do you go into the ground with? Nothing. What do you get to take with you out of this life? Nothing. And this guy has lived his entire life for stuff, and he has made and he has planned. He's planning for the future to accumulate and and to accommodate more stuff. But he's made absolutely no provision for the one thing in his life which is certain, which is that he was going to die. And he's made no provision for eternity. He's wasted his entire life obtaining things that will not last, and he has gained nothing for eternity. What's the point of Jesus' parable? Four words. Don't waste your life don't waste your life don't store the straw and burn the wheat amen don't lay up treasure in this life when as peter says in second peter 3 7 the present heavens and the present earth are reserved for fire Everything material in this world will one day burn up and be destroyed. Don't live your life for what doesn't last. And then Jesus tells us some more things. That, you know, this, this, this section was to the crowd that's assembled, but later He pulls the disciples in. Pulls, the, pulls in those who are following Him. So this word is specifically for us. So follow along here with me. And He said to His disciples... Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. 
Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. You know, there was a great line from the great heavyweight boxer, Joe Lewis. He's buried at Arlington. You can go see his grave. I've seen it. Um, He was a great boxer, probably one of the greatest of all time. And he said this. He said, you know, I don't like money actually, but it does quiet my nerves. And I think there's a lot, of, a lot of wisdom in that, right? A lot of us can relate to the brown bomber. That it's not so much that we're a materialist, but we do look to money to provide our security and peace and our sense of um, having things kind of buttoned up and taken care of. It does help quiet our nerves. Why do we get anxious about things? Because I think it's because we have somehow come to believe in our hearts what Joe Lewis believed in his, that our peace and safety depends on the amount of cushion we have in our bank account. That our security is sitting in an account at SEFQ or at J.P. Morgan. But it isn't. Not according to Jesus. Our security is not in a bank account, but seated in heaven from which He reigns and from which He will come to redeem us. Amen? Is it wrong to have savings or a retirement account? No. Not wrong to have those things. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man lays up an inheritance to leave to his grandchildren. It's a good thing to have some extra money, to have some things set aside for a rainy day. Uh, That's wise, that's prudent planning. But it is wrong to think, and this is Jesus' point, that money and stuff provides our security. And it is wrong to spend your life worrying about all of the material stuff in this life. Food and drink and clothing and stuff. And Jesus' point in this text is that when we worry about these things or when we look to the obtaining of these things, we not only have our trust misplaced, but we have also forgotten some important truths about God and who He is and how He relates to us as His people. And so I want to just go through this, this section here and point out some of these truths that are easy to forget. Now, the first one is verse 23. 
where Jesus tells us there is more to life. There is more to life. There's more to life than food and clothing and houses and stuff. You can have all those things and be completely impoverished when it comes to what really matters in life. There's more to life. Those th- you know, we have certain things that are necessities and we have to have them for life down here to continue, but they are not the measure of a good life. There's more to life. And second, we need to remember that God cares for us. God cares for us. That's the point Jesus is making in, in His remarks here about the ravens. You know, I don't know if you all know what a raven is. It's, a, it's like a, a souped up version of a crow. <laughs> okay. Bigger beak. A um, little bigger bird. They, uh, they kind of clean up stuff along the roadsides. Uh, in various places. We don't have any around here, but they exist in lots of places. And, and Jesus says, look, God makes sure that the, that the ravens eat. God makes sure that the crows eat. Um, you ever seen a, a, you know, a sparrow starving to death along the side of the road? Right? No, neither have I. Right? Um, he makes sure that the birds eat. And they don't have storehouses. They don't have barns. They don't, they don't punch in at a job somewhere, right? God makes sure that they eat. And, and his argument is this. If God makes sure that the birds eat, and you are much more important to Him than a bird... Don't you think that the God who cares for you will also make sure that you eat? Amen? That's the point. That you are so much more important to God than, is the, than are the birds of the air, and yet God takes care of them. And if God takes care of them, He for sure will take care of you. Jesus didn't die to save ravens. Amen? He did die to save you. And if God cares for you, He's going to make sure your needs are met. Third truth to remember, anxiety does not change anything. Anxiety does not change anything. Uh, Verse 25 and 26, that's Jesus' point. Anxiety does not make anything better. makes a lot of things worse. But it does not make anything better. Right? Uh, has any of you? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I come from uh, I come from people who have been able to be world champions at worrying more than once, right? And um, I've got the trophies at home. We'll show you. But um, seriously, has any of you ever, by worrying, added on to your life? Just let's just see a show of hands, right? Uh, it makes time seem like it passes slower. <laughs> <laughs> right but it doesn't actually go any slower you don't get any you don't get any taller you don't you don't add to the length of your life you can't uh, jesus says elsewhere make one hair of your head white or black based on worry and these are all simple things 
And if you can't do something simple like, well, I'm going to worry about this and then I'll add an hour onto my life later. Uh, if you can't do something simple like that, then why are you worried about what you cannot control? It does not fix anything. It does not fix anything. And fourth, we need to trust God because He is a good God. Verse 27, he talks about the lilies. I love lilies. We've got a bunch of them growing around our place, uh, various kinds. And I like watching them grow. And when they come up, they are absolutely beautiful. Great big beautiful flowers, vibrant colors. Just amazing. The structure of them. Right? And then they bloom for a week or two, and then what happens? They die. And then you know what happens after that? We go out there with shears and we cut off all the dead stuff and we throw it on the burn pile and it gets consumed. And that's exactly what people did in Jesus' day. They would cook over the dead grass that grew in the field. And Jesus' point is is that God in His goodness scatters beauty in things that are just temporary. Grass in the pasture. You know, you can drive along the ditches and you can see those tiger lilies growing up in the, in the ditches every place, right? Who put them there? God put them there. Why do you put them there? Because they're pretty to look at. And He likes beauty. And then, eventually the mower comes when all that stuff dies. And all that gets consumed, right? And it's here today and gone tomorrow. And he says, if God cares about that stuff, if God loves you, and if He is a good God who provides flowers for short-lived grass, and He loves you so much more than that. So much more than that. And related to that, remember that God is your loving Father. Look at verse 30. He says, all the nations of the world seek after all these things. But, what's he say? Your Father knows that you need them. Your Father. We're not simply people of the nations just like everybody else. If you're a follower of Jesus, then then God is your Father. And if He is your Father, then He loves you. And if He loves you, then He not only knows what your needs are, but He is committed to providing for your needs, just like if you're a father, you're committed to providing for your children's needs. He loves you. He loves me. And He knows what our needs are. And so He provides for those needs to be met. And so, you can relax and you can trust Him. How many of y'all are working really hard so you can get a day where you can relax? Right? How about this? Relax now. Relax now. God has got this. I'm not saying be lazy at your job or don't go to work or anything like that. But what I am saying is, is that I can relax 
rather than be full of anxiety about the future because God has got this in his hands and he loves me and he's going to make sure that my needs are met. He's going to take care of me. And so I can relax. And I can trust God. And I can seek his kingdom. And he is going to provide for me. So, five vital truths to remember. Here they are. Ready? Number one, there's more to life. There's more to life than things. Number two, God cares for you. Number three, anxiety does not change anything. It doesn't change anything. So you don't do it. It doesn't doesn't change anything either, make it either to make it better. It only makes it worse, right? Because now you have all the same circumstances, but you're stressed out. Anxiety doesn't change anything. Number four, trust God. And number five, God is your loving Heavenly Father, so He will provide. He will provide. Ready for some more encouraging truth? Look at verse 32 to 34 here with me. I love these verses, particularly the first one. Fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom (coughs) sell your possessions and give to the needy provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there will be your heart also i love how jesus speaks to his disciples in this first Verse here, verse 32, little flock. Little flock. The idea is that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And if there is anything more, you know, my, my dad raises a few sheep at his place, and if there's anything more panic-stricken and prone to, uh, to, to run and hide than a sheep, I have not ever seen it. They are just terrified of everything. Uh, if it rains... They're afraid. If you walk over with a food bucket until they know that you have food, they're afraid. They run off in the corner and pile up, you know, and they, in fact, try to, they almost try to smother one another getting away from you. I mean, they're, you know, if you, if you go over and take a hold of one, you'll lay down and <laughs> be panic-stricken and be terrified, right? Sheep are easily frightened. They're easily frightened. And the, the idea here jesus says i know y'all are like sheep i know you're easily panic stricken but don't be afraid don't be afraid why not because god delights in giving his kingdom to us in other words men and women our future could not be any more secure it could not be any more secure we one day will see God face to face in His kingdom. And it's not that we are begrudgingly admitted. Amen? It says it is His good pleasure in the ESV. Um, other translations read, it is His delight to give you the kingdom. The idea is, is that God is excited for what's coming for you. And He is delighted for the day when you come home. 
And when you really get a hold of that truth, you can not only fearlessly trust God, but you can be transformed, according to this passage here, into generous people who fearlessly give and sacrifice for other people's benefit instead of fearfully holding on tightly to what we have. You know what makes somebody stingy? Fear. But if I give this up, well, I might not have it again. Might not, might not get any more. It might not be, might not be provision for me and mine. So I got to hold on to this, right? You know what makes somebody generous? The recognition that I've got. Look, I got more than I can use, and there's more coming. I got more than I can use, and there's more coming. And, and when we understand what God is doing and His delight to give us the kingdom, then all the things of this life we can hold in a very loose grip. We can say, look, I got more than I need and I got more coming. I got more coming. And when we do that, we, in fact, add to the pile. We gain treasure in heaven where it does not fail. Where it doesn't fail. And I love Jesus' last line here also in this, this text, verse 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you value most, that's where your heart will be. That's where you will commit your energy and your time and your thinking and your the the direction of your life will follow whatever you value most. So let me ask you, what do you value most? Is it a house? A car? A vacation? Some job that you want with a corner office on one of the upper floors? A spouse? A child? All those things are important. And I don't want to devalue any of those things. Some are in fact very, very important. But Christ and His kingdom are supreme. Amen? And He ought to be supreme at a level in our lives far beyond anything else such that there isn't really a second place. How many of us had our house values go upside down when the where we owed more than the house was worth? Had that happen? I had that happen. Many of us had that happen. How many of us bought something that we enjoyed only to see it break or finally wear out? You know, I had a truck uh, once upon a time. I had it for I had it for 16 years. And then it puked. It finally just there's, just... there's just an accumulation of stuff that happens on a 16-year-old vehicle. And I was finally just tired of pouring money into something that is literally rusting away in my driveway. Right? So we got rid of it. And sadly, I did not replace it with the truck. Okay. Let's all have a moment of silence. All right. Okay. You know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pray for me on that, okay? I will need some friends with a truck very soon. But, um, 
But here's the point that Jesus is making, right? All the stuff that we get in this life, it eventually goes away. You have something made of metal, it rusts, it corrodes, it wears away. You have something made of wood, it rots, it burns, it decays, termites get after it. It doesn't last. If you spend a lot of time on your, on your health and on your physical body, guess what? You will be a good-looking corpse one day. Fact. You will be. Nothing in this life lasts. But what you lay up in heaven, what you lay up in heaven will last. And it will not diminish. It won't rust. If you, if you buy a nice suit here in this life, sooner or later, the moths will get after it. If you, uh, if you have a nice house and you have a lot of nice things in it, maybe someday, sooner or later, you'll have somebody break in and steal some portion of it. But in heaven, none of those things happen. God keeps watch. And the things that you've laid up in heaven as treasures with Him last forever. And you get to enjoy them and be blessed by them for eternity. How long is eternity, by the way? It's a long time. Okay? Let me, let me put it to you this way, okay? If every 10,000 years a, um, a robin flew and landed on the top of Mount Everest and sharpened his beak twice on the top. And then, and it came back another 10,000 years later, did the same thing. And then came back another 10,000 years later, did the same thing. And kept coming until Mount Everest was worn down to the size of a piece of pea gravel. Eternity would not have begun. Okay? Eternity is forever. So lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where thieves do not break in and steal and moth and rust do not corrupt. Amen? Where you get to enjoy it forever. Where you get to be in the presence of the Lord forever. And don't worry about the things of this life because it is your Father's delight to give you an eternal kingdom. Don't worry. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as the missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool if he would choose to give what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. That is absolutely true. Father, we we would not be foolish like the rich man in the parable if we would sacrifice the things of this life, if we would hold on to them loosely, if we would refuse to worry but instead to trust you, knowing that we are gaining 
for ourselves and to your glory, things which can never pass away. Father, I pray that we would live our life in such a way that our treasures are in heaven rather than laid up here in this life where they will not last. Father, help us to live by that conviction and to trust you with all of our needs down here. In Jesus' name, amen.